Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Guys and a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. And welcome to July. It's summertime. Craig, <laughs> Craig has been off because he's a teacher. <laughs> yep. I'm a principal, but I'm in China. I'm never off. <laughs> <laughs> but it is sweltering hot here in Beijing. I'm sure it's sweltering hot where you are, Craig. It's actually really nice right now. It has been super hot, but these last couple of days we've had a little bit of a break, so that's been oh, nice. That's good. That's good. I'm glad to hear that. We uh, we haven't been out swimming or doing anything fun like that. There are no beaches in Beijing. Everything's man-made. Uh, we have the old <laughs> the old water cube, you know, where the Olympics were held, and uh, Michael Phelps broke right. all those records. Has been converted into a um, water park, but it's like super expensive, so we've never been there. <laughs> I'm dying to get out and swim and celebrate the summertime in these fun ways. Uh, so maybe the best substitute we have, the best thing we can do, is to go back to our old favorite horror movies that take place during the summer and do a bit of a, a theme yeah. month. What do you think? I think it sounds great. All right, so let's get down to it. There are no shortages of horror movies <laughs> that take place in summertime settings for some odd reason. Maybe the most notorious setting for a slasher film is uh, Summer Camp. And we've done a couple Summer Camp movies. We've done one of the Friday the 13th movies, at least. We did yeah. The Burning. Those are the two that I thought about when we watched this week's movie, which was Sleepaway Camp from 1983. I was in kindergarten in 1983. <laughs> Sleepaway Camp is uh, it's kind of one of the more notorious of these slasher films. And it's box art. I just I just got to talk about the box art for a second. Yeah. It's uh, Sleepaway Camp 1. I always got to confuse with Sleepaway Camp 2. Sleepaway Camp 2 has this really cheap-ass looking box art. It's a, yeah. a girl with a backpack on looking toward a camera walking through the woods. It looks like it was shot on somebody's Polaroid or something. And in the back uh, is a Jason hockey mask and a Freddy glove like hanging out of the backpack, except they look like they were bought from a Halloween store, like they're plastic. Right. <laughs> it, if you only see that, and that's the one, the first one that always comes to mind, then it would just turn you off of the series completely. You would think it's completely cheap. And not that it isn't cheap, but the box art for the first one is really interesting. It's got a bloody knife stabbed through a shoe, a, like I guess like a kid's sneaker that's upside down, yeah. hanging from the knife. And for some reason, the sneaker is dripping wet, and I really have no idea why. I think <laughs> when I see this, I just, it's like a Salvador Dali painting to me. You know, it's, like, <laughs> it's just a little surreal. I don't know why the sneaker is dripping wet. There's a hand, the, this knife is upright, almost like it's, it's holding it in triumph or something. But I'm trying to figure out the situation in which this knife got stabbed upside down through the sneaker, and there's not like a foot in it. And why is the sneaker <laughs> dripping wet, but the hand isn't? It's just an odd, you yeah. know image but it's iconic and it looks good and then you've got yeah. sleepaway camp down below it in a font uh, that looks like branches and on the back <laughs> you do you remember what the back looked like no the back is brilliant there's no pictures there's no photos or stills or anything for the movie there's just a tagline the camp's activity for today murder and then, <laughs> and then there's a, it looks like a sheet of paper that like somebody's writing a note home to their mom. And it says, dear mom and dad, you've got to get me out of here right away. There's a crazed killer on the loose and kids are being scared to death. And a girl was brutally stabbed while taking a shower and nobody's doing anything <laughs> about it. <laughs> Your peaceful, <laughs> your peaceful, perfect place to, to meet girls has become a slaughtering ground for a bloodthirsty murdering monster. Wait a minute. I think I hear someone coming up be 
and then the bee jags out. <laughs> There's some blood drops on the paper. <laughs> it's just classic. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> they got the shower in there. That was nice. And I love these letters that end with, oh, wait a minute, as the person's writing out. <laughs> <laughs> I think someone's coming up behind me. <laughs> so good. If if you don't want to pick this movie yeah, up off stuff. the shelf based on the box box alone, <laughs> I, it's it's too great. So yeah, I watched this way back in the day, probably back in high school. How about you, Craig? Now you know it's so weird because this is one of those movies that comes up all the time in discussions about horror movies and you know classic or iconic or cult movies, and that's where I saw it again this time around. You know, I just saw on one of the horror movie sites that I frequent, um, I saw a list of uh, summertime horror movies, and and this was on there, along with, like, Friday the 13th and The Burning and stuff. And I know a lot about this movie. Like, I've read about it, I've seen images from it. It's established its place, I think, largely because of a big twist. And I knew going in what the big twist was. So Mm. I didn't expect there to really be any surprises. But I had never seen it before. And I don't know how I have gone almost 40 years of my life uh, you know, loving these types of movies and, and somehow had had never picked this one up. But I've seen it now, so <laughs> <laughs> now I guess I can now I guess I can join in the conversation. That's great. Welcome to the club, Craig. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> so just in case uh you haven't seen this movie and you want to before we start talking about it, you probably should because we're gonna talk about the twist. And there is a twist at the oh, end yeah. and is notorious. And if you've been living under a rock and this hasn't been spoiled for you yet, you better watch the movie. Uh because I would be interested to hear, you know, obviously the first time I saw it, I wasn't old enough to really think about it too critically. Now that I saw it the second time, I knew about the twist. Craig, you knew about the twist going into it. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, It would be interesting to hear from somebody, an adult, uh, who could see this movie now and give their honest opinion about it, not knowing what the ending is. Yeah, and well, and I'm sure that we'll talk about this, but I don't know that this movie would fly today because it's... it's, Oh, yeah. God, no. You know, it, it touches on some topics that since the 1980s have become... Sensitive's not necessarily the right word, but I guess that we are just a little bit more sensitive to, I don't know, we're a little bit more PC these days than we used to be. We're a little smarter. Yeah, we're a little smarter. Yeah, we're definitely smarter. I don't find this movie to be terribly offensive, at least not for the reasons that I can imagine that some people would. Anyway, we'll get there. I mean, it's a summer camp movie, and it's a summer camp slasher. I mean, that's that's what it boils down to. Uh, Yeah. And for those purposes it's relatively formulaic you know you get a bunch of kids at summer camp and start picking them off you know that's that's how it goes and there's the mystery who done it even though i feel like this movie does kind of an interesting thing where they on the one hand kind of make it super obvious who the killer is but on the other hand then they give you all of these kind of red herrings so you're constantly questioning and, yeah. and you kind of doubt you kind of doubt your suspicions because it seems so unlikely. I don't know. There are other things in this movie that I found to be more objectionable than the things that I think that some people would find objectionable. But we'll get oh, yeah. there. It it opens up with like this lake view, you know, and it scans over this really pretty lake, and there's um, some interesting music in the background. Uh, Moat 
A lot of the movie is scored, and it's an original score. Uh, and there are actually, I think, a, two or three original songs uh, that are used in the movie, too. Um, the camera scans around this camp, and it ends on a sign uh, for Camp Arawak, which is where we're going to be spending most of the time. And there's a for sale sign on it. And then we cut immediately to a flashback where you've got these two little kids, uh, a young girl and a young boy, and their dad out on the lake on a sailboat. And to, you know, be a little rascals, playing a little trick on their dad, the kids capsize the boat. Uh, and so they're all in the water. Meanwhile, a speedboat um, that's towing a skier, and it's got a young man and a young woman in it, and the young man is driving the boat, and the young woman who apparently is a camp counselor at this camp nearby, um, says that she wants to drive the boat. He allows her to drive the boat. And it's it's all really very kind of silly. She gets distracted by the skier, and they're not paying any attention. And this speedboat runs them over. (laughs) You know, (laughs) this scene, right away, it doesn't leave a very good impression. The content of the scene... Uh, sets up what we need to know, and it's going to be very important later. Right. The execution of the scene is really amateurish. Yeah. Like you said, it, the the whole situation's rather silly. It's not very convincing that they're out on this lake with not many people around, but these people do not manage to see this boat overturned until it's too late. And then when you look at the different shots, the spacing and where they are, it doesn't even make sense. <laughs> like right, one no. moment, this boat with them is out in the middle of the lake, and then when they show the shot just as the uh, speedboat is coming towards them, they're like right in front of the dock. Right. And as the speedboat runs over it, you get a close-up of him running over it, and then the speedboat is back out in the lake again. Whereas the speedboat should be, like, on the land if it ran over this boat right. <laughs> the way right. that it was approaching it. you Right away, you kind of know what you're getting into. You know, there are a lot of movies like this, right? We've talked about it. But um, this movie in particular is the very first-time effort from a director named Robert Hiltzik. Um, he wrote uh-huh. and directed this, and pretty much nothing else. He had a little bit to do, I think, with the other sleepaway camps. He was like a consultant or something like that on the sequels. I think they just had to give him writing credit because they used so many flashbacks from the originals. I don't think that he really had anything to do with them. And there were a bunch. There were like four. No, I think there was sleepaway camp two, sleepaway camp three, and then they started to shoot uh, sleepaway camp four, and they never finished it. And then 10 years later, after they never finished it, they just went ahead and released it anyway, even though they only had a half hour of original content, and they just <laughs> they just filled the rest with flashbacks from the previous movies. Oh, my God. Um, and then eventually, there was Return to Sleepaway Camp, which, again, he came back, the original guy, uh, Hiltzik, came back. And, and wrote and directed, and a lot, well, not a lot, but some of uh, the original cast came back. But I really, you know, I thought the same thing. I'm like, whoa, this guy did like five Sleepaway Camp movies? I don't think so. I don't think he had anything to do with those unauthorized sequels, except for that they had to give him a writing credit because they used so much of his stuff. I think you're right. And, and he's been trying to reboot 
the series or re remake the first one and and it was announced back in like 2016 or something i don't think anything's mm-hmm. come of it since there's Mm-mm. there's really no information i don't know if people are really that interested in it to be honest and, <laughs> and <laughs> really i mean this guy the whole reason he made the movie was he was looking for something he could sell coming fresh out of film school and he knew that horror was really really easy to sell at the time and so he came up with this thing and apparently he even shot it uh, at a camp that he attended when he was a kid yeah. So. Well, and it's surprising that he didn't really go on to do more because he shot this whole thing on a budget of $350,000 and in in the USA alone it grossed 11 million. I mean, that's like, you know, that's not blockbuster numbers, but based on how much they spent on it as opposed to how much it made, one would think that he could have done something else, but who knows? For whatever reason, he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and it beat out big movies at the box office when it came out. I mean, it had a very limited theatrical release. It was a very short release. Yeah, so it, it, it looks cheap. And that's really how the whole movie is kind of like this. The scenes are not really set up very well. The staging is very unconvincing. Some of it's clearly like he told people, okay, just kind of mess around in the background while I film these people in the foreground doing something. So if you're just kind of taking in the whole scene, the whole thing, seems really stagey it does and and i want to address that but after this little scene where it seems apparent that the dad has died because you see him floating seemingly dead in the water then it cuts to eight years later and we have uh what become really our two main characters angela who was the little girl on the boat and her cousin Ricky. And they're I don't know, what would you say, maybe thirteen, fourteen, something like that? Yeah, that's probably about right. And and they're going to camp. And the aunt, who was mentioned before, she's a doctor, um, apparently has raised Angela in the wake of this tragedy. And we get this scene with her sending them off to camp, and this woman is just psychotic. Like yeah. I don't even know how to describe her. Like she's very kind of mommy dearest. She kind of looks like a dude um, in, <laughs> in a lot of makeup. And I wrote down terrible acting, but I, I almost feel like that's what they were going for. Like they mm. wanted her to be crazy, crazy over the top. And she says something weird. Here they are, all filled out and signed by yours truly. Wasn't that nice of me? Hmm? What are they? Why, they're your physicals, of course. We can't go to camp without our physicals now, can we? Just be careful not to tell anyone how you got them. No, no, I'm afraid that they wouldn't approve of that at all. Even though they know that I am a doctor. No matter what they do, I'll never tell. Oh, you're such a dear. Um, Okay, whatever. (laughs) And then they get off to camp. And what I was trying to get back to when you were talking about how it seems kind of cheap and it's not all that well put together. One thing that this movie has going for it that most of these summer camp movies don't, and I don't even know if it's necessarily a positive thing, but in most of these movies, you've got mid-20-somethings, sometimes even 30-somethings playing kids, Mm -hmm. uh, playing the campers. And this movie is cast almost entirely with actual young people, ranging anywhere in age from, I would guess, about 11, 12 to, you know, teenagers. Yeah. And and while that, you know, that gives it some authenticity, um, obviously you're also working with people who are probably not terribly experienced, and uh, that 
shows in some places. And the other thing that you talked about how the scenes are not particularly well set up, this movie feels very much like it was made for television because it has it has built-in commercial breaks yes (laughs) i did it was so weird and i had to go back and think and i was even looking online i was like was this made for tv tv shows tv movies especially in this era there would be like a musical swell right at the end of a scene and then it would Mm -hmm. fade to black and then the commercial would start. It was just kind of like the standard right. way of putting in a commercial break. Yeah. Otherwise, movies never, you know, movies rarely fade to black. Right. And this movie's got it. Like, at the, all the regular intervals you would expect, like every 50, 20 minutes or every half hour, whatever it is. It's so weird. But, but then I was like, well, there's no way this was made for TV. There's so much cursing and swearing in it. Right. And, and the content is questionable, too, for television. Oh, yeah. There's no way. I'm sure it aired. On on television, I'm sure it was probably pretty heavily edited when it did, but um, yeah, if it, it kind of it just in quality and the way that it was set up, it really kind of felt like uh, a made-for-TV movie. It's so strange. Do you think he was just aping that? Like he thought that that's what movies were supposed to do, or do you think that he thought that maybe an edited version of this could could play on TV? I have no idea, but that that certainly felt like how it was set up. Yeah, and and we've talked about this a bunch of times. You know, made for TV movies were uh, kind of a big thing. They're not so much anymore, unless you're big into Lifetime or Hallmark or those types of things. Yeah. But who knows? <laughs> anyway, they show up at camp and. <laughs> We're going to talk about all these plot points, but the things that stood out to me was from the time they get to camp, then throughout the rest of the movie, this movie makes summer camp seem like the most hellish, nightmarish place that you could (laughs) ever possibly go as a child. All of, well, most of the adults are pretty awful. Like, the very first thing that happens is they're all getting off the bus, and the cook, Artie, is like, Look at all that young, fresh chicken. Where I come from, we call them baldies. Makes your mouth water, don't it? Artie, they're too young to even understand what's on your mind. Then, good buddy, there ain't no such thing as being too young. You're just too old. <laughs> gross. Like, that is so nasty. Oh, and everyone, it's so gross. And everyone else is just standing around kind of nodding and smiling and rolling their and eyes chuckling. like, oh, Artie, and good old Artie being, being a jokester. It, like, it closes up on his face as he's staring at these young girls and he's like licking his lips. Like, it's just barf. Yeah. And then all... <laughs> Again, not all. There are a couple of nice kids, but literally, like a couple of them. The rest of the kids are horrible. Yeah. Like, they're just nasty, horrible, awful people who seem to get no joy out of life other than just tormenting other kids and being. Even the nice kids sometimes, like yeah. um, Ricky, you know, Ricky is, is the cousin, Angela's cousin. And he's really a nice guy. But even he and his friends bully the fat kid in their cabin. Like, <laughs> yeah. like yeah. it's just, God, If I guess what I'm saying is, if you have kids and you can't afford to send them to summer camp, but they want to go, show them this movie and then they won't want to go. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And you'll save a buck. <laughs> <laughs> That's awful. 
And nobody cares. That's the other thing. No, like, there'll be huge fights, like, huge piles of guys, and literally the camp counselors will just be standing off to the side watching. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, like they're bored. Like, oh, here well, we go again. Like, <laughs> it makes it unrealistic, too. I mean, it takes it to that level where you just can't, you know, none of the scenes ring true because of it. There are a few good moments in here of some real, I don't know, drama, if you could call it that. But most of this seems just like a bunch of silly little scenes that were put together. Yeah. We get introduced to some of the other characters. We meet Paul. Paul is a friend of Ricky's. I wrote down all these actors and actresses' names, but none of them really went on to do much. The guy who played Paul, his name was Christopher Christopher Collette, and he was one of the few who actually went on to do some TV work and some other movie work. He's got kind of a recognizable face. And then we meet uh, the girls in Angela's uh, cabin, and there's Judy, uh, played by Karen Fields, and she's just awful for no reason from the beginning. Mm. Yeah. Um, because... Because over she used to go out with Ricky last summer, but over the summer she got boobs, and with those boobs came just a horrible personality. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Meg is uh, the counselor in Angela's cabin, and she's awful also. So then we just kind of get to start to see how Angela... I mean, it's obvious that she's traumatized from this event in her childhood, and that's not unbelievable. You know, her dad and her brother were killed right in front of her, and so she's quiet, but kind of eerily quiet. Like, she really Mm -hmm. just sits there and stares. And the young lady who played Angela, her name is uh, Felissa Rose, she's very pretty, and, and she looks her age, but she's got these really dark kind of piercing eyes. Uh, and, and I read that in the audition process, the audition for Angela was to just sit and stare uh, intently and pretend you're eating a candy bar. <laughs> like, that was the whole audition. <laughs> and so she, does, so she does a lot of that just sitting and staring, especially in the first part of the movie. And, and when she's in the cabin, she's staring at Judy. And What, are you taking pictures? Quit it! You must be Angela. Remember, Ronnie spoke to us about her. Looks like we got a real winner here. You ain't kidding and then we get the first of several kind of gross moments where Angela's in the uh, cafeteria and she's not eating. And apparently she hasn't really eaten anything for like three days. One of the only nice counselors, he seems like, I didn't even write his name down, but he seems like kind of one of the head counselors, guys. And he wears super shorty shorts. <laughs> 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 I love watching these movies from the 80s. Our fashion when the 80s, I tell you, it was something special. I don't know what people were thinking. We were all over the map. Oh, man. It was... I mean, he looks like he's wearing, like, a woman's bathing suit. Like, that's, like, <laughs> cut up to his waist. Anyway, that's unimportant. Um, he's nice, and he takes her back to the kitchen and asks gross Artie, the pervy cook... You know, she hasn't eaten anything for a few days. Can you maybe find her some ice cream or something, get her to eat something? And then he gets called away, so Artie's left alone with her. So he immediately takes her into the food pantry. Go, Angela. See anything you like? Maybe I can help you decide. You sure are a sweet-looking little cupcake, Angela. 
I got something you're gonna like real good. Hey, what are you doing? Keep your mouth shut, Jimmy. He didn't say nothing. Got it, nothing. Yeah, sure. Whatever you want. Well, get the hell out. Ricky, who is constantly looking out for Angela, which is really kind of sweet in this kind of weird movie. He comes in and he sees what's going on and um, he takes her away. Um, But that's kind of the impetus for the first kill. And then that's kind of the pattern that it follows throughout. The people who end up getting killed in this movie are mean or bad or they they bully Angela or something. Yeah, so this first death is interesting. And you got to give this movie credit for trying to keep things creative. It's not just yeah. a killer walking around with a knife, you know, stabbing people, but they try to make the deaths different and different they are. Yeah. This guy has the world's tallest pot of water <laughs> boiling on the stove. <laughs> yeah, it's literally like 4 feet tall. <laughs> I don't even know where they got up. This is the most impractical kitchen appliance yeah. you can possibly imagine. Anyway, it's so tall that he has to stand on a on a on a chair or a stool in order to reach it over the top of the stove, and he's dumping corn in there. And we get a POV shot of a person sneaking up behind him, kids' hands, and this is what we see the whole time through: are these this POV shots, and we actually see the hands, and they're clearly a child's hands um, doing most of the work mm-hmm. in these death scenes it's also very clumsily staged i guess they push him forward so that he's bent over the pot kind of and it has to brace himself against against a shelf that's over it yeah and he's like looking down going oh oh that's funny what are you doing blah 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 this guy could get down at any yeah moment. it's <laughs> it it's not of, a thing it, right it kind of didn't make any sense and i feel like the director knew that and so he had to shoot everything in super tight close-up because if yeah. we were to see it from pulled back at all we would know that he could just step aside or jump down yeah. or whatever but it makes it yeah. seem like he's like dangling over this huge pot of boiling water yeah and so the the person pulls the stool out from under him and as he falls he grabs the pot and pulls the boiling water down on him and, and he gets basically badly scalded mm-hmm. and we get a nice close-up scene of him this only the only real makeup effects i guess we have in this movie i think there are like dummies and and you know severed right. heads and things like that but i think this is the only real makeup effect we have on a person it was kind of neat i don't i don't know yeah. that it necessarily looked real but it was kind of cool i mean they clearly put some effort to it you know they had something I, I don't know if they had latex over his skin or what, but they, you know, somehow made it appear as though blisters were rising and pulsating on his face. Um, and Pulsing. It, 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 it was gross. <laughs> it's not realistic, but it's gross. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And so then the um, Ben, the black cook, comes running in and and just stands there in horror. Just, for like <laughs> they all they just stands there. And nobody's nobody's calling for help. Apparently, they did call for help because the next scene as a the police um coming in you know and then they come in and they interview uh, everybody in the kitchen and the thing so mel is the guy who runs the camp he's the cigar chomping dude and he's the only person of note in this film right. he's a tony award-winning uh-huh. actor uh he was all over television and this was actually his last role yeah mike kellen and uh apparently uh he was sick the he had lung cancer the the whole time they Ugh. were shooting this movie terminal lung cancer and he just hit it 
nobody knew. Um, and he died three months before the movie came out. You know, it was his very, very last thing. You didn't get to see his ultimate swan song. Maybe no. it was a good thing for him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and so there's this this thing they're trying to set up a little bit with Mel. Mel is a nice guy. Mel seems concerned, but Mel's also the cover-up dude. Right. And so he's very concerned about getting the story straight. And there's this long, kind of painful scene where he says goodbye to the police officer, and then he turns over to Ben, and he talks to Ben. Guess that makes you the head man here now, doesn't it? I wasn't thinking much about myself, Mr. Costick. I just don't see how something like that could happen. Come on now, Ben. We still got a camp to feed here now, don't we? Yes, sir. Besides, 50 bucks more a week can't be all that bad now, can it? No, sir. I always thought he had a little devil in him. All right, <laughs> $15 a week more for the rest of you? Huh? That's real generous of you, sir. Well, no, Ben, there is one thing, though. There's really no reason for the campers to find out what happened. You know what I mean? Ben's kind of an embarrassing character, too. Yeah. Yes, sir. No, sir. Kind yeah. of simple-minded black person. Yeah, bad, stere- bad stereotype, yeah. It's, it's just kind of, oh, gosh, okay, we get it. All right, he's trying to cover it up, but this scene goes on way too long, and it's just a little too on the nose. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, that's the thing. Like, there are several scenes in the movie that just seem unnecessary, and a lot of them, you know, I would be watching a scene, and like, where is this going? You know, the the very next thing that we see is they play... Ricky, again, the nice kid, plays this joke, and I guess it's a very campy joke, but it's on the fat kid, where they get him to sit up into one of the other campers' butts, like, so his face is right in his butt. Ha ha. Very funny. Mm -hmm. And then we have a scene where there's a ball game, and it's like, the kind of little guys on one team, and when I say little guys, I mean like middle school on one team against like the big guys like high school guys on the other team and they you know they they bet on who's going to win or whatever and and eventually the little guys win which yay great good job for the underdogs or whatever but this it it was like i went to a ball game at a summer camp like why do i need <laughs> to see it. all this <laughs> <laughs> that's right we've we've seen so many scenes like this like in the burning or something like that and maybe the ball gets hit into the woods and somebody has to chase after it and there's kind of a tense moment maybe somebody gets murdered maybe somebody almost gets murdered my god at least just have some killer pov shots from the forest looking out at them or something give us some reason for this baseball game scene to be in this movie <laughs> And there's no reason at all. It doesn't even really set up the characters, because all they do, which is basically all they do through the whole movie, is just curse and swear and yell insults at each other. Right. Antagonize one another. And not only are they constantly doing that, but I feel like whoever was in charge of the sound, I don't know, also felt found it necessary to fill any dead space with just that constant back and forth and bickering. No problem, Gino. This guy blows dead dogs. Just lay it in there. Eat shit and die, Ricky. Eat shit and live, Bill. Yeah, Bill, he's a little wet. Come on, Bill. God, these are the the jerkiest kids ever. (laughs) Then we're in, like, I don't know, the Camp Common building or whatever, the rec hall or whatever, and... The canteen. The can... Yeah, okay. Um, and, And the older guys are planning on 
luring the girls out to the lake in the hope of getting them to go skinny dipping with them and a couple of them decide to approach Angela and she's still not talking and um, it's just I really don't rem- I don't remember kids being like this. Now there were jerks when we were kids. There are always jerks, but like these two guys who are significantly older than her. I mean, we would be talking about like juniors, seniors in high school like hitting on the freshman 8th grade girl. And like these two guys both approach and they're like, "Hey Angela, we thought maybe you'd want to go swimming with us." What? You're not going to talk, you stupid bitch? Like <laughs> like <laughs> no. One of them looks at Angela just says straight up, "Yo Angela, how come you're so fucked up?" I mean, like, what's your problem? Hey, dick face, leave her alone. Oh, yeah? What are you going to do about it, asshole? (laughs) (laughs) They just jump immediately to hateful. Like, God, this is not going to get you far, boys. Like, come on. (laughs) You read about toxic masculinity. I mean, like, that's what we're seeing here. Like, calm down. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm not even sure what's supposed to be. Are, are we supposed to get the impression that this canteen is so large that these sorts of things can happen and other people don't notice? So the notion that all this is happening and going on and then only until a fight breaks out, you know, when Ricky starts fighting, uh, what's his name? Whoever it is who, who the cares? Mean whoever guys, it is who, right, like, whoever it is. The and mean the, guys. But, but seriously, like, these, Ricky starts fighting these two guys and then within a second, it is literally a pile of like 10 guys. Like they're in a pile on the ground. And the counselors are literally just standing there watching. Like, it's so true. Like, no reaction whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> like they're not oh even phased. Okay, whatever. (laughs) But anyway, then Paul comes up to Angela, and again, Paul was Ricky's friend, and he's nice. He's nice to her. He is a nice guy. Um, And so when he says goodnight to her, she says goodnight, and um, it's the first thing that she said in the whole movie. I really kind of wondered if she was going to be mute throughout the whole thing, Uh, but she's not. She starts talking to Paul, and eventually she starts talking to some of the other nice kids, too, when they're nice to her. But Judy doesn't like this at all, for some unknown reason. Yeah, for no reason. Judy's portrayed as not having any trouble being able to get anybody, uh, but she somehow, for some reason, just fixated on Angela and doesn't want Angela to be happy, or doesn't want people talking to Angela or something. It's never clear why uh, at all. If Paul had previously had a relationship with Judy then that would make at least a little more sense. But he hasn't. Ricky was the one who previously had a relationship with Judy. So it's not like there's even some you know, prior boyfriend, girlfriend, jealousy thing going on here. No, it's completely unmotivated. Um, So, okay, so the guys get the girls out there by the lake, but none of the girls are falling for it, thank God. But (laughs) Kenny, this one older guy, does talk this one girl into going out for a canoe ride. And he takes her out, and then he's just a big jerk, and he lies and says that there are all kinds of snakes and stuff. Like, seriously, like, God, I don't know. How is this seductive? I know. I was never a typical teenage boy, so I don't know what goes on in typical teenage boys' minds. But seriously, like, 
don't lead with the mean. Like, I, I, like, it's, like you're not eight, you know? Like, maybe say something nice. I don't, but instead, he's just a jerk, and he, he flips over the boat, and everybody laughs, ha, 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 and all the guys are on the shore in their enormous tidy whities and um, they're all laughing, ha, ha, ha. Um, and they all go inside, and for whatever reason, Kenny is just hanging out underneath the flipped-over boat singing a song, like... I guess that's what Talking he's going to do himself. with the rest of his nights. Yeah. <laughs> it's so dumb. It's, and, it's so bad. Oh, my God. It's just a reason to get him under this underturned boat. I know. And, you know, really, it's not – if you compare it to something like Friday the 13th, the original one, it's not that much different. It's not – but it is it's it's worse like like the characters are unlikable the acting's just not that great anyway he's hanging out under the boat for no reason and it's you know like daylight under the boat even though it's nighttime outside and so we get to see <laughs> that somebody come up somebody's head from the back we see it come up underneath the boat with him and he's like what are you doing here and then uh whoever this person is drowns him and they find the the body in the morning and for some reason overnight from having been drowned his body is decomposed and eaten up and disgusting again the effects look pretty good it doesn't make any sense but um it, it looks okay <laughs> it's only one of a few times where we really see a gross you know like a gross effect you would almost imagine this was, up until this point, I think it's about 30 minutes into the movie, maybe more. It could be a TV movie without all, you know, if you took out the swearing. Oh, sure, sure. And and then, you know, we get kind of a lot of nothing. You know, Angela's talking to the nice people now. She's uh, holding hands with Paul now, like they're kind of a little couple. Uh, he kisses her goodnight, which she's not totally unreceptive to, but it... You know, it's it's quick or whatever. But then, like you said, Judy, just because she's a bitch, just starts flirting with Paul for no good reason. Um, Meg, the counselor, continues to taunt Angela and, like, at one point grabs and shakes her. Like, what are yeah. you doing? Like, you're supposed to be the counselor. Like, what is wrong with you? I, I keep kind of mentioning some of these details without trying to be super obvious, but... At this, at one point, Judy taunts Angela by saying, Hey, Angela, how come you never take showers when the rest of us do? Huh? You queer or something? Oh, I know what it is. You haven't reached puberty yet. Is that it? I bet you don't even have your period. That's enough, Judy. Angela's allowed to shower in the morning or any other time she wants to. Yeah. She takes showers when no one can see. She has no hair down below. Judy, she's a real carpenter's dream. Velada's a board and needs a screw. That's enough. Fuck off. <laughs> That's the first time I'd ever heard that particular quip. I thought it was, uh, I, I wrote that down. I'm going to use it later. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> please, please don't. Oh, God, so gross. <laughs> then, there's, then there's a water balloon fight going on, but it's the guys are on the roof of one of the cabins doing this. It's so stupid. <laughs> I, I, 
I don't understand this scene at all. They've got like a bucket full of water balloons, and there are five of them all gathered together on the top of a roof, throwing the water balloons at each other. Somebody needs to tell them what a water balloon fight is. <laughs> well, right. And and then they throw one at Angela, and you would have think that they punched her in the face because yeah. Ricky like freaks out. Like it's I get that they're jerks, but it's a water balloon. Like <laughs> it's really not <laughs> that big a deal. It got her shirt wet. She's fine. Um Mel comes over, breaks it up. Yeah. Oh. Uh, so but you know, somebody was mean to Angela again, so time for another death. And this was <laughs> Uh, one of my favorite parts. So all the guys are going out somewhere, and this one guy, I hate that I wrote down hot guy in my notes because that's speaking just on physical attributes alone. They're all jerks. Um, but uh, he'll meet them, but first he has to take a wicked dump. That <laughs> His word's not yours. <laughs> what are you guys up to, huh? Uh, we got a game against the counselors. You going to play? Sure. I gotta take a wicked dump first, so I'll see you guys down there, right? <laughs> <laughs> So he goes to the bathroom and somehow uh, gets locked in there. You know, somebody locks him in there. And then you, we see somebody cutting the screen behind him while he's taking his wicked dump. And they drop like a hornet's nest or a bee's nest or something in there. Uh, <clears throat> and he gets killed. And again, there's more gross effects there. Decent. Yeah, it's not. I mean, it's more the aftermath. We don't get to really... We see a lot of close-ups of his legs flipping around. Right. Close-ups of the bee's nest hanging over his head. And then eventually he pitches forward or something onto the floor. And you get a close-up of what's a dummy. You yeah. Know, with uh, bees all over its face. But it's it's well. You know, that part is nice. Yeah. It's yeah. nice. It's, it's, it's a nice half-eaten corpse. <laughs> yeah. It's not poorly done. <laughs> but again, then you have Mel coming back in and he's upset set and now he's convinced that there's a killer uh, on the loose and he's all motivated about you know finding this killer or whatever uh, Paul and Angela have a little date at the lake where they make out for a while and he even though he's a nice guy really very quickly gets pretty handsy with her and and she uh, tells him to stop I mean, he kind of does, but he's still kind of messing around with her top. And, like, I'm thinking, like, Paul, seriously, come on. You're supposed to be the nice guy. Like, get your hands off her boobs. Like, you just started making out. Like, give it a minute. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But then there's this weird flashback, which I don't even understand. Like, it's so out of left field. I don't know. Like, I, I just didn't see it coming. Okay, so... There's this sheet while she's being kind of fondled by this guy. She has this weird flashback. She and her brother are peeking in the door, apparently, of a bedroom in which her dad and the guy who had been standing on the shore talking to them in the first part of the movie, they're in bed together. They're in bed together, and it, you know, it, it's clearly an intimate thing, you know, like <laughs> both their shirts are off. They're topless. It's, you know, it's an intimate moment. It, then it cuts to a scene of Angela and her brother sitting on a bed and the brother's just pointing at her. And like either the bed is spinning or the camera is moving around them for like 30 seconds. And I still don't even really understand what was going on there or what was really the point of that scene. I guess maybe just to indicate that for whatever reason she was traumatized by that, so she's uncomfortable with intimacy. I don't know. It was weird. Yeah, I 
I couldn't unpack it myself. Even in light of the ending, it still makes no sense. Right. So yeah, no, I I don't have any I don't have any better explanation for it than you just came up with. It, it just totally took me by surprise, especially since this was from the early '80s when people's sensibilities about homosexuality were very different. Mm-hmm. Just even to see that on screen in the '80s, I think. Probably would have scared people. I mean, that, like that's. I guess, I guess that's why you find it in a horror movie. I get. I kind of wonder if that was just thrown in there just to be shocking. It was just totally yeah. some exploitative thing. But then, like, why? Why were the kids pointing at each other in the bed? Like that part, I didn't get. Yeah, it's not foreshadowing anything. You know, not really. Not. I mean, like you said, in light of the ending, I suppose you could make some connections, but. I don't know. Not really. Um, then we get to watch them play Capture the Flag for five minutes. Oh, my God. But they don't play Capture the Flag. The guy tells them the rules for playing Capture the Flag, and they're starting a soccer field. And then a whole scene happens while in the background we see that their version of playing Capture the Flag is everybody's in a big group in the middle of the soccer field, like like tag football. It's so weird. You're supposed to have a flag way across the camp somewhere Hidden and somewhere. a flag way across the I, I didn't get it. It, bad. <laughs> it, was so, it was so stupid because because this scene is so like so in one minute they're with the group playing capture the flag, and the next second we have this far away shot where they're the the people are still I don't know bouncing back and forth in the background. We're far away from it. Suddenly, two of the participants, who are guess who, Ricky and Angela, are talking. Ricky runs off, and then Judy pops in. Like she just like like she was waiting off screen to pop in, you know. It's just, just so stagey. Yeah, I mean, it's all just uh. a setup for Judy seduces Paul into making out with her, really only for the purpose of hurting Angela's feelings, and it, it works because Ricky and, and Angela both stumble upon them making out. Yeah, in the woods, and and that's you know, I mean, that's kind of it. Paul event later, you know, comes and apologizes to her, but now again, Angela's not talking to him. Judy keeps trash talking. Then Judy and Meg, again, the camp counselor, pick Angela up. Meg throws her over her shoulder. And then throws her in the water while Angela is, you know, screaming and pleading not to be thrown in. This is the most horrible summer camp ever. <laughs> yeah. It's terrible. And Mel, and while, while this is happening, the owner of the camp is confronting Ricky and shaking him down. Hey, what are you doing? It's like all those other times. She gets into trouble, you run to a rescue and try to take care of everybody. How are you going to do it this time? Another drowning or something worse? Hey, what are you talking about? Let me go! I saw you those times. In a wrecked room at the water fight, you killed them. He seems to imply that Ricky is present every single time. Yeah. But... I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I didn't really get that either, but he jumps to that conclusion. They get Angela out of the water, and then some little kids, you know, like, throw some sand at them. Super innocent, nothing big deal. You know, it's not like it's that big a deal at all. Then we find out there's going to be a big social tonight. And then Meg. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. No, some I know what you're getting leaving, at. Right? People, yeah. <laughs> then out of complete left field... Mel is hanging out, and Meg starts coming on to him. Yeah, Mel, who is like a f- like fifty or sixty years old. Oh yeah, <laughs> easy. And Meg, who is in her twenties, and this doesn't particularly bother Mel, 
No, he's like excited about it. Like, oh yeah, it's it's so weird. (laughs) No, and like she flirts with him, and like she sets up a date with him at his house, and then she goes back to the cabin, and she's like, "I've got a date tonight." And Judy's like, "With who?" And she's like, "It's a secret." Like, gross. Like with your grandpa. Like, congratulations. It's gross, right? And then we get the shower scene. Yeah, she's got a shower. This is the best part. This ends up being the cheapest shower killing scene ever filmed. Mm-hmm. You don't see any TNA. It's just kind of a middle shot up. And then suddenly she backs up against the wall and start, it's act startled and starts screaming. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't see what this was being intercut with, you would think that she saw a spider or something. <laughs> right. And that's it. But then what they're cutting to is a knife, which is stabbed through the divider of the shower, the the wall of the shower, basically. Because these aren't like proper showers. It's like shower stalls. Right. Stabbed through the stall and is, is basically pulling, eviscerating her. It's, it's cutting straight down through across her back. So blood is spraying out this slit that this is cutting in that wall. While on the other side, she's just screaming up against the wall. Right. And it must have been like the thinnest shower wall ever or the sharpest <laughs> knife ever because like sh- whoever the killer is like drags it down like like they're cutting through a tomato. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <it's> like- <laughs> Okay, so she's dead. Um, so then uh, we see Paul apologize to Angela again. Angela's coming out of the social, and she tells him, meet me at the waterfront after the social. So he thinks that he may have uh, a chance. I love that line. Meet me at the waterfront after the social. Then another scene which like just felt like time filler. One of the camp counselors has to take some of the younger boys off to... Uh, camp uh, alongside the lake or whatever, and he does. And they make a point of showing that somebody has a hatchet. And then um, a couple of the boys wake up in the night and beg the counselor to take them back. So he does, and he leaves the other boys there. Now, this doesn't all happen in the same moment. Like, it's like there are scenes in between. But when the counselor comes back, the rest of the boys that were left there have been slaughtered. And my first thought was why like yeah why these little kids and then the more i know and then the more i thought about it i was like and and i and i read it online too they were the ones that threw sand at her on the beach like really like oh you're kidding me (laughs) yeah that they they were the boys that threw sand at angela at the beach and apparently that is a capital offense like Anyway, whatever. And and we don't even see much. I mean, it just look we just see their sleeping bags all hacked up. We don't even see the kids at all. Actually, I saw an interview with a director and he said that if there's one thing he would change about this movie, he would take that part out. I can I can understand why. He thought that they went a little overboard. Yeah, yeah, a little. <laughs> I mean, these are little <laughs> kids, like 8-year-olds. Come on. Uh. Oh man. But but the next scene stays. Mel goes looking for Meg. He finds her. She they falls out of the shower, and he sees the cut against his back, and he goes into this long soliloquy as yes. he's looking at the body. He's just talking to her body for a good five minutes. So then we have this next scene. Judy's been making out with some dude, and she's been interrupted, and so the dude fly, you know, goes off. Mel was looking for right, Meg. Um, Meg. That's why he's the one who interrupted them. 
And so then we see that Julie is curling her hair. It's, it's I don't know, nine or ten at night. Yeah. And she's sitting in the dark alone in her bedroom, and she's decided she needs to curl her hair. <laughs> As you do. But they just... They just needed to get a curling iron into the scene. Because one thing we said is they get real creative with these deaths. And sure enough, a figure appears and comes towards her, throws her down, and uh, puts a pillow over her face. And then grabs the curling iron. And then what we just see in shadow is the curling iron being raised. And then it comes down. Judy screams, and we see a close-up that she's still got that pillow on her face. And then it cuts away. And I was like, wow, is that, does that really imply what I think it implies? (laughs) I'm glad you're not the only one whose mind went there. Because, like, I was like, what did they do with that curling iron? (laughs) (laughs) Where did it go? Because later, when all hell breaks loose and the cops show up and they all, you know, they're like, there's a killer, everybody split up, you know? The cop, they end up at that cabin, and the cop goes inside, and he comes back out, and it's just a close-up of the stunned look on her face, on his face, like what he just saw in there was so disturbing that he can't even talk about it. So yeah, I think that's what, I think that's what the implication was. I expected to read something about it online, and I didn't find anything. I just saw that she was smothered and burned with the curling iron. Well, I don't know. Even if what our grosso minds are thinking about is true, like that alone wouldn't kill her. But anyway, whatever, it doesn't matter. It's gross and she's dead. (laughs) Um, And uh, then the only other thing that happens really before the big climax is that Mel eventually finds Ricky and beats him, I thought, to death. Like, I really thought that Mel beat Ricky to death. It turns out we get just like a two-second scene later where some counselors find Ricky and he kind of coughs um, and wakes up. That's all we see. I almost mm-hmm. wonder if, it, if, if initially he was intended to be dead and then they changed their mind and just threw that in. Then as soon as that happens, then Mel walks right onto the archery range and he sees somebody and he's like, no, it can't be. <clears throat> and then he gets shot with an arrow right through the neck which was the best effect in the whole damn movie it was pretty good i mean you could tell the difference in skin color uh in the appliance but um it looked it looked well, pretty they, good there was no cutaway there was no nothing he's standing there and a uh, arrow just appears in his throat i mean it's not even a jump cut i mean it is they did something to spring the arrow up or i don't know what they did but it was really impressive yeah, it looked good. I even saw an interview with the with the special effects guy uh, when he talked about you know being particularly proud of that arrow scene, and he wouldn't even say how he did it. He just said that the um, actor was really nervous about it. <laughs> so I don't know if they actually like threw an arrow at him or something at some at some level. I, I don't know, but it it looks like he just somebody freaking shot him through the neck with an arrow. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah, it is good. And then there's chaos in the camp because they found these dead bodies. The cops are there. um, The counselors are all looking. They know who's missing. They know Angela and Ricky are missing. They know Judy and um, Meg are missing. uh, And Ricky, I don't know who all I've said. But they know who's missing, so they're looking for these specific kids. Then we see Paul waiting down by the water because that's where Angela told uh, him to meet her. And she shows up. 
and uh, she says, let's go swimming. And he says, but we don't have our bathing suits. What do we do about our clothes? She says, take them off. And he, of course, gets all excited and starts stripping off. Then we cut back to the counselors, and they're searching around. Then we get that quick scene where we find out that Ricky's really not dead, which made me happy because I was sad that he was dead. Um, And then the two nice counselors, the nice male counselor and the nice female counselor, are walking through the dark, and they hear what sounds like somebody singing. And they approach the shoreline of the lake, and they we see from the back, I mean, obviously we know it's Angela, but she's sitting there seemingly naked, and we see just kind of, again, we're looking at her back, but we can kind of see that she's got Paul's head in her lap, and she's kind of stroking it. It looks, you know, affectionate. And then that leads up to the big twist, which is, of she stands up and she's fully nude and Paul's head which is actually severed falls to the ground and she's got this crazy look on her face and she's making these weird noises that we've never heard throughout the rest <laughs> of the movie and the counselor the male counselor points at her and says And then we see a full body shot of the nude Angela with a wiener, and then that's it. Yeah. Like, I I knew that that was the twist. Like, I knew the big twist was Angela's really a boy. Now, I I did fail to mention that in that moment, uh, we also get a quick flashback where we see the crazy aunt from earlier in the movie – talking to this young child whose head is wrapped as though it's injured, saying, oh, I'm so glad to have you, but I've already got a son, so you'll be my precious little girl, or whatever. So it's obvious that she has just raised this boy. It was actually the girl who died in the accident, and she's raised this boy as a girl, and now here is how it's turned out but i did not you know even though i knew that was the twist i didn't expect that to be the very end of the movie i thought surely there would be something more after that because it's not enough and and i think okay you know what i think i just figured out the gay thing too let's come back to that okay all right but here's what i think first of all it's clear this movie is dated this twist doesn't work today no it's insensitive. It would be like, wow, she's a boy. Uh, who cares? Because I think at the time, and I think this, if I'm going back and you know revisiting my feelings when I was a kid watching this, first of all, I was very confused by the ending because of all the snarling and the weird look on her face. Um, it's creepy-ass ending. I mean, mm-hmm. without the male-female thing, she looks insane. And she's making these god-awful, inhuman noises, and the look is frozen on her face. It's because it was a mask, and I was so impressed by that, because I didn't know that. They they did a cast of her face and made a mask. It looks just like her. I would have had no idea that it was a mask. And they put this it's mask amazing. on this poor young college kid who they paid to do this, and I read that he had to get drunk 
<laughs> in order to <laughs> build up the courage to do this. And, you know, it's this skinny little kid. I mean, he looks like an adolescent kid, naked, totally exposed. Yeah, it's it's shocking. So I think that... I think there are a couple things going on here. First of all, he needed a twist, and so he thought this would be his great twist. Second of all, he wanted it to be shocking. And I think for the time, it's shocking in two ways. One is, oh, this person you thought was a girl all along really is a boy. And two is the full frontal male nudity. Yeah. Even though it's, 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 it's pretty dim. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think maybe... Just dialing back a little bit, maybe the implication is a girl wouldn't have been capable of doing all these murders. And so it all makes sense now that Angela's not, that Angela did it because she's actually a boy. You know, she'd have yeah, the strength I mean, or the wherewithal or the, cra- you know, girls just don't go crazy kind of thing. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think that it's interesting because Felissa Rose, who played uh, Angela, um, her mom didn't want her to be the killer in the movie. Um, And so they kind of compromised in that every scene in which she's, you know, doing her murderous stuff, it wasn't her. It was actually the kid who played Ricky um, doing all that stuff. And and you can tell in, in places. I mean, the hands look more masculine than Angela's hands look uh, all the time. And in the one scene where he's in silhouette when he's getting ready to kill Judy, I mean, it's a masculine form. I mean, it doesn't look like her, um, which is also kind of confusing because it's not Mm -hmm. like she's, you know, it's not like she's changing shape or or anything like that. But Yeah. um, And again, I guess, you know, maybe it's misdirection or whatever, but... It it would be offensive, and and I understand why it would be. You know, we again we have different sensibilities. We're smarter uh, now, and while I don't feel like it's necessarily making fun, there's there's certainly a suggestion that her gender identity goes hand in hand with psychosis, which you know just isn't true, <laughs> but. Right. It was a different time, and, and I think that the director probably got what he was going for, and I think that that's probably the only reason that this movie is still notable. Yeah. I think that if it hadn't been for that twist and that shock, that this would have fallen along the wayside, because it's really not a great movie. It's not terrible. No. But it's not no, it's good not, either. It's not the worst we've seen by any means, and we've talked about how it's creative in, in a sense of, you know, that, that it, it, it tries to do some different things, um, but it's very inept. It's ineptly made. It's poorly written. The acting, it's, it's commendable that they used younger kids, but then, like you said, the acting really suffers because of it. And then, you know, like you said, you get that shock ending. I think I figured out. Um, just as we were talking, that maybe the flashback to her father being gay is supposed to explain why she is still attracted to boys? Well, yeah, I mean... She was raised, a boy raised as a girl? I mean, it, it it's, it, you know, I just, I'm thinking that maybe that was in his mind when he was putting that in there, again, a, being a product of a different time. Right, trying to make right. that explanation. Right, trying to justify her confusion and therefore, you know, her behavior. Yeah. 
It's uh, it's troubling. so weird to talk about. It is. It is weird to talk about just because it's so, you know, this is not a study in gender identity. This is not a study in, in <laughs> no. sexuality. You know, it's, it's a crappy movie. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I, I, I get what you're saying. I feel like that was the intention. Um, misguided. Oh, not – yeah. yeah. <laughs> misguided 100%. Yeah. But I think that's probably what he was trying to do there. And, you know, it's interesting because – I think the ending is still really notable and really creepy, even if it turned out that there wasn't a dong between her legs. Because mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. the image of it um, and the snarling with her mouth wide open like that, it just, the sound mm-hmm. sounds like it's coming from somewhere unreal. And she's just frozen there. And she's got this stance with that knife in her hand. And she's just looking at them. And I would want to run the away from that scene yeah. as fast <laughs> as humanly possible. And that, honestly, this especially the second time around, is actually kind of stuck with me. Put a chill up my spine, even though I already knew what the twist was, and that wasn't terribly shocking to me. Right. Oh, yeah, I felt the same way. Do you know that they almost did the opposite? There was talk early on about having Angela play that, and they were going to mold a penis and put a strap on on her. Yeah. And they actually molded it. And I don't think anybody actually believed it was going to happen. But the mother obviously came in and said, there's absolutely no way that I'm going to allow that. Oh, thank God. <laughs> yeah. And I think they were all like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of what we figured <laughs> at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> I would be kind of interesting in seeing at least the first sequel. I know that the sequels went far campier and they played it more for the comedy. Um, they uh, had Felisa Rose come back and read uh, for Angela again for the sequel. But uh, because they were going campier, I guess she just could, she couldn't or didn't well, you know, whatever, play the funny. Um, so they recast it the role with Bruce Springsteen's younger sister of all people yeah um and uh and and she she maintained the role up through those even that unfinished sequel and then they did return to sleepaway camp and again you know spoiler alert Angela shows back up again in that one and she is again played by uh Felissa Rose but I think that you know I think that's the big shock of that movie i haven't seen it um (laughs) the second one sounds i don't know kind of funny after that they really just sound pretty stupid but um if i were desperate i might check out the second one well it's kind of a ridiculous premise anyway it's got to be super campy i mean what she goes off for counseling after she undeniably did all these murders and then ends up as a camp counselor after rehab or something (laughs) like yeah (laughs) around children again and and gender reassignment surgery (laughs) so like they don't have to worry about that anymore (laughs) dumb (laughs) We, we it's not on our list uh, to to round out our um, our July uh, theme of summer movies, but I do think we right. need to revisit it sometime in the future for sure. Sure, sure. Overall thoughts, Craig. Oh gosh, you know, overall, I I'm glad that I have seen it now. You know, I've read so much about it, and uh, you know, it comes up a lot, so I'm glad I've seen it. It wasn't great. It certainly wasn't the worst movie I've ever seen. It's certainly problematic. I can't believe that they're even considering remaking it. Like, I just can't <laughs> imagine what audience they think that they would find for this movie. Um, but. You know, it's a product of a different time, and as problematic as it is today, if you can remove yourself from that and look at it as a uh, a product of a different time, it did at least make an attempt 
to be a little bit different. It, it, you know, it tried to be original in the kills. It had a twist that nobody had ever done before. And so I give it props for that. It's not a great movie. If you're a horror enthusiast, yeah, go ahead and watch it. You know, if you're just kind of a casual horror fan, eh, you can skip it. It's, you know, it's, it's not great. I enjoyed, I even enjoyed watching it the second time around, even though I, it was exactly as I remembered it. I just think it's another one of those so bad it's good movies. You know, yeah, yeah, it's super bad in in just these charmingly inept ways of a guy. I mean, and maybe I just got that soft spot in my heart too of the guy making his first movie. It's yeah, <laughs> it shows, but it there's you can tell that they had fun with it. You know that they were really that's enjoying true. Making, but I wish know? I wish it were funnier because mm. so much of it is really mean spirited. Yeah. Um, you know, like the like the kid, like everybody's just awful. Like, and I guess you're glad when they die or whatever, but I don't know. Yeah, I get what you're saying, and, and for a first effort, you know, great, good job. I, I certainly couldn't accomplish that, so more power to you. In some ways, it just kind of leaves a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth. You yeah. know, I I'm not offended. Um, I didn't hate it. I didn't feel like, you know, we've watched some movies even recently where I felt like it was a total waste of my time and I was actually kind of irritated by the end that I'd sat through it. And I didn't feel that way about this. It wasn't terrible. It wasn't painful to watch. Um, But I don't need to see it again. All right. Well, stay tuned. We've got plenty more summer movies. Uh, Another four picked out for you because we have five Tuesdays in July. If you enjoyed them, please share them with a friend. And also visit our website, twoguys.red40net.com, where we post all of our episodes, occasionally put some uh, written movie reviews as well. Until next time, I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. With Two Guys and a Chainsaw. (laughs) 